The Athletic. Totally Football Show, European edition. Kylian Madrid softly with his words as Mbappe says non to Real. Milan scoop the Scudetto for the first time in more than a decade. RB Leipzig find the energy to win the Pokal. Marseille are in the Champions League. And Villarreal secure European qualification with a win in Barcelona. This is the Totally Football Show European edition in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Uh, speaking of things that are bad for football, this is the last Totally Football Show European edition of the season. Uh, it's me, Matt Davis-Adams, filling in for Jimbo today. I'm joined by Alvaro Romeo, Julian Laurence and James Horncastle. Hello, everybody. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Uh, let's start with some moments of the weekend with Paddy Power. James, I'm going to throw to you first because I've got a fair assumption as to what yours might be. <laughs> Well, you're, you're guessing it's going to be Timu Bakayoko uh, coming out in the title celebrations in Reggio Emilia, uh, having barely played for AC Milan this season uh, and yet doing an incredible uh, job of, of smoking his cigar and looking like uh, he had just basically done what uh, Rafael Leao had done, which was uh, end this long wait for a league title. Incredible celebrations, got to see them. Uh, Casa, Casa Milan uh, afterwards when the bus got back into Milan uh, Ibrahimovic uh, giving a big big speech saying Milan is Italy uh, and uh, Teo Hernandez singing uh, Interista Vaffanculo as well which was pretty provocative but uh, when you win the title I suppose you can do that Absolutely, yeah. Bakayoko probably just put in the shade a little bit by Ancelotti a couple of weeks earlier. Would have looked even cooler uh, were it not for that. Um, Jules, I think we can probably guess where your moment of the weekend was too. But I'm not going to choose Kylian because because you expected what? me to. So it's not my moment of the weekend. And also, it, it ruined my day at the park with my kid, well, well, one of my children. So I'm going for the incredible finale in the, uh, the last Monaco game on Saturday night because with a win, Monaco were guaranteed to finish second in the table. And they were leading 2-1 until the last kick of the game when Lens equalised, which meant that Marseille now finished second, which was a great drama at the end of a very, very good season in Liga. Yeah, fantastic final day too. We'll talk more about that later. Um, Alvaro, slim pickings for you, moment of the weekend-wise. You clutched at some straws and found something. Anything happening in Madrid this weekend? Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Eh, oh, it's cold in Madrid. Oh, it's cold in Madrid. Oh, it's cold. Oh, they put the aircon on. It's cold. <laughs> the fans of this show shouldn't forget that Real Madrid is not exactly the club I support, so... Jules and I will do a very neutral uh, coverage of uh, the Kylian Mbappé case later. But uh, I have to stay with two Jules, things. Jules, Jules will. <laughs> no chance. Oh, it's cold in Madrid. Oh, someone put the aircon on. It's cold. Freezing cold. Um, it's freezing cold in Granada because they went down to Segunda División after, you know, Jorge Molina, a 40 years old striker, just missing a penalty in the 75th minute of that game. So I think that that was the moment of the weekend, I have to say, because Cadiz, minutes before, or no, minutes later, scored the winning goal, and then Cadiz stays in Primera with Mallorca, Granada goes down, and a very powerful image here as well in La Liga. 
Valencia played a game with no attendance whatsoever apart from some supporters because the Valencia crowd demonstrated against Valencia's ownership outside the ground while Valencia was playing against Celta. I think that, that was pretty powerful too. Mm, yeah, never heard of that before. Um, effective though, I'm sure. Plenty happening across the continent this weekend, but one story has dominated for the last few days. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. If one leg of your 4 plus fold acre lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg. Online exclusive, no shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. Kylian Mbappé va rester jusqu'à 2025. That's El Halaki there on the Parc de Prance pitch with Kylian Mbappé before their game on Saturday against Metz, announcing that Mbappé is staying in Paris. He's re-upped his contract to 2025, having been heavily linked with Real Madrid, whose response to the news has been as measured and empathetic as one might expect. Uh, here's what Jules and Jimbo had to say about this seven days ago. And he said that we will know soon, he would announce this soon, before before the national team get together. Another a lot of people are saying yeah. by the 28th of May, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. Not to unsettle Real Madrid, you know. Mm. All right. I think he did. But because he's going to say that he's staying, so we don't care about the final. <laughs> 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 exactly. As ever, Laurent's with the inside track. And yeah, I mean, James, you've got to worry that your status as soothsayer of the Totally family is, is at risk here. Um, Jules, how, how, how did you know about this? When did PSG find out and when did Real Madrid find out? I have to say, and I, you know, come clean, this was, this was the wish that me and all PSG fans and, you know, all my family, everybody had, really. But at that time, no one knew because even if he had made his choice, and that's why he said today, he decided last week, he hadn't told anyone, so we were all a bit in the dark, the two clubs to start with, because it's gone really quiet, and both clubs believed at some point that he was going to the other one, uh, and then we were just waiting. Then on, on Friday, Di Marzio, who is obviously the, the GOAT in terms of transfer, had a, a little indication that it could be staying, but still there was no confirmation. No one, not from the family, not from PSG, not from Real Madrid on Friday night. It seemed that Florentino was already pretty much telling people that it would be a, a no from Kylian, or that suddenly he would not come because, as he said today, he said, I never said no to Real Madrid. I said yes to PSG, and I think he, he agreed. He said that the terms that Real Madrid were offering were satisfying him, and same with the PSG ones, and then that he would choose one or the, one or the other. But it's only really at the end of the Saturday morning that we're starting to get a few texts and, and, and calls about the fact that the incredible twist in an incredible transfer saga was happening and that he was, he was staying in Paris, which obviously, even if he ruined my day at the park, was very, very, very welcoming. And, and it's not just about the, the dump truck of money that was presumably driven up toward his house uh, by the PSG higher-ups. There's all sorts of control clauses, everything in this contract. It's, it's quite remarkable and, and sets what might be a dangerous precedent for football, but, but PSG thinks that that's a gamble worth taking at this point. Yeah, I mean, the money, I think, played a part, of course, even if, again, he says they talked a lot about the, the football side of it for, for days, he said, a month. He said then for hours we talked about image and image rights, which we, we knew before it was a, a big thing. 
And then he said, and about money, only a few minutes. He said it was very simple. I mean, it's always simple when you offer that kind of numbers anyway. You know, we're like, yeah, okay, what do I sign? The, the, the thing about the control within the club or certainly him having his say on coach and managers and sporting directors, players, I don't think he's written in the contract, uh, but it's certainly, it's certainly he will, this will be part of the future now. And it's already been the case because he signed on Saturday lunchtime and on Saturday evening, Leonardo was sacked because Kylian didn't want to work with him anymore. So this is how quick he got the power and the keys and opened the door and decided what to do. But I think big players had a lot of power before at other clubs. You know, maybe not at 23 and maybe not in France, but I'm sure Messi and Beckenbauer and, and maybe others had also plenty of power at the club that they were at and were deciders amongst others. It's not just Kylian on his own who's going to pick the phone to Ruben Amorim and say, hey, do you fancy coming? Or to Zinedine Zidane and saying, hey, I can offer you so, so and so for three year, you know, for a three-year deal. But they will go to him when they want to, to do stuff. And you're right, it might be dangerous. It might not work out and we will know soon, but only time will tell if it was a good idea or not. But I guess if it's not a contractual obligation, then you've got the old Daniel Levy clause in there, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I said that and we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, maybe, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's gone down really well in Spain, as you'd expect, Alvaro. Uh, La Liga releasing a statement confirming they'll file a complaint against PSG with UEFA French authorities and EU authorities. Um, good luck with that. Javier Tabas, La Liga president, tweeting, Al Halifi is as dangerous as the Super League. I mean, this is just a massive embarrassment for, for Florentino Perez personally as much as anything else, isn't it? But but also a big problem for Madrid, who've, who've based their transfer policy on over the last few years on the basis that they were going to get Mbappe. I think that that was the biggest mistake of Real Madrid, really. The fact that they put all their chips uh, in the Kylian Mbappé thing and, uh, you know, they thought that the Kylian Mbappé was going to sign for the club. They save a lot of money uh, just to sign Kylian Mbappé and at the end he's staying at PSG. And in the meantime, a player like uh, Erling Haaland has gone to Manchester City. A player like Dusan Vlaovic has gone to Juventus. So, you know, I think that from the planification point of view, Real Madrid hasn't done the best possible thing. All that said, I believe that Real Madrid Madrid are going to be fine, Mbappé or not, because they still have Karim Benzema, but it would have been very nice for them to have the replacement for Karim Benzema there in the team. Now they will have to look for look for that player, and uh, you know that player may not exist uh, in the next in the in the foreseeable future. A player of that quality, but I think Real Madrid are going to be fine. But it's more the the feeling of betrayal, probably, which is something that I don't share, but I am sharing with you what the Spanish media platforms are saying. And this is quite remarkable, and I find it even ridiculous, because the whole Mbappé saga has lasted four years in Spain. Four years of paper, four years of TV shows, radio shows, talking constantly about Kylian Mbappé. He was born to come to Real Madrid. He is the next uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. He will be the player of the future for Real Madrid. All that hasn't happened, but the amount of time that the Spanish media have used talking about Kylian Mbappé is very remarkable and they are not criticizing Florentino enough because I believe that Florentino was a little bit amateur here um, because maybe he should have gotten some sort of tangible pre-agreement with Mbappé maybe with a penalty if he didn't sign for Real Madrid as Luis Figo had in 2000 when uh, he decided to go to Real Madrid if Florentino won the elections for Real Madrid uh, but if he 
at the end didn't sign for Real Madrid he has a penalty that he has to pay to Florentino and to the club uh, Mbappé as far as we know he doesn't have anything like that with Real Madrid and maybe Florentino should have done a little bit better to cover his back a little bit better but this uh, case of Mbappé, Mbappé tells me as well that the players right now they've got a lot of power many of them they, they don't mind about letting their contract run out and wait until the last minute just to, to sign a new contract Mbappé Dembélé Tillemans Rudiger Pogba, we have seen many players doing that and I believe that the uh, football has changed a lot in favor of the player over the, over the last 30 years maybe because before the Bosman ruling came and all this players didn't have any power whatsoever and now they've got much more power but as I said, um, the reaction of many Madrid or pro-Real Madrid media and the animosity towards Mbappé has been really, really remarkable and very unfair. James, what do you make of all this? Obviously, it's a, it's a massive wage packet he's got. I feel like the, the initial reaction is to think, wow, that's incredibly mercenary that he's got all this money and all this power. But is there not a case to say we should be praising this 23-year-old boy and his family for playing off these two massive, incredibly rich and powerful organisations against one another and then getting what he wants from it? Yeah, I suppose they've got a very good deal for themselves um, and it is a short career. Um, I do think uh, Julian is right when... He says that it's it's not exclusively down to money because I think already what Killian has been earning would be enough perhaps to to set him and his family and future generations uh, for life. I suppose what uh, Javier Tebas was saying in that statement that La Liga put out was Nasser Al-Khalafi is as dangerous as the Super League insofar as how is this sustainable? Um, for for other clubs that are run as as businesses um, without state benefactors uh, writing checks and uh, for them um, because it does warp the industry uh, it leads to kind of mad hyperinflation expectations of what players should be getting for wages and transfer fees and you know as much as the criticism of the super leaguers has been oh, these are just mismanaged clubs uh, that have acted recklessly. Um, I would say one of the reasons that they have acted recklessly and that's led to mismanagement is because they've been trying to compete and keep up with uh, the likes of PSG um, you know, when it comes to going for the best talent in the world, which you know their history and tradition obliges them to do. Um, so... Um, so I, I kind of empathise on one level with that point. I don't think it's as simple as La Liga and Real Madrid have sour grapes about missing out on uh, a player as good as Kylian Mbappe. Jules, will this pacify those um, those PSG ultras who were protesting? Was it was it not so much about that and more about PSG having the, the poster boy for the, for the World Cup in Qatar? No, I think no. The protest was that thing was more about the the structure of the club and. And people even above the squad, I think they targeted the squad because they didn't like the way that game in, at Bernabeu finished, and rightly so, probably. But we've already seen one being changed. We mentioned it. Leonardo is gone. Luis Campos is is here, is arriving, which is someone who is very close to the Mbappe clan, who is very close to Kylian since their time together in Monaco. And again, the name was approved certainly by Kylian, maybe even put forward by him. So this is the first bit of rebuilding or change, if you want. The second one will be the manager because Marshall Pochettino is going to be sacked anytime soon now. And then who comes next? That's the big thing. Uh, I still think that Zinedine Zidane is a possibility, even if a lot of reports say that he, he doesn't want to come. Uh, Ruben Amorim is, is another name that they really, really like, that Luis Campos is a big fan of, who 
corresponds what they want to do now in terms of having someone with energy, with, with different ideas, a different profile. He's 37 years of age. He never had this kind of dressing room before. So I would love him to come because me and James are big fans, for example. And I want to see him in that kind of environment, even if it's to the detriment of my club and it doesn't work out. But it is a gamble and it's risky. We have to be honest here. So we will see. It'll be very interesting. But there will be new players. They will, they will sell players, quite a lot of them. They're hoping to, to at least. Uh, and this is cer- certainly a new era. This is the Kylian Mbappe era, even more than in the last five years. And if I was Neymar, I'd be quite worried about what's going to happen in the next two months. But yeah, we'll we see. And what, just to finish on Kylian, if you thought as a player for a 23-year-old, regardless of what he's won already, but uh, uh, you know, in terms of talent, he's impressive. I wish you could speak French and listen to him speak to the media like he did today in his press conference because... This is just incredible. Really, I, I, I've never seen 23-year-olds who can talk like him about contract, negotiation, image rights, even Real Madrid fans in the context, because even his answer to the question, what do you want to say to the Madrid fans, was spot on, perfect. He's so intelligent that he, reads the, he understands the question so well. There's, there's no trap. You can't trap him. You can't trick him. He's, he's amazing. I have to say, on and off the pitch, is whether you... You like him or not, or you like what he did or not, it's a different story. But that press conference showed that he's as good in terms of communication that he is on the pitch. If La Liga has spotted any irregularity when it comes to PSG and financial fair, the UEFA financial fair play, they will have to take judicial action against it. But I don't think that it's very good for La Liga to broadcast their concerns publicly. I think that these things have to be done more discreetly. But Javier Tebas has been doing this, and especially towards PSG and Manchester City, since 2017, when Neymar uh, moved to PSG. And Javier Tebas said that PSG was pissing outside the swimming pool. I don't know if you remember that. But, uh, you know, uh, he's been for a number of years uh, talking about this thing. And the truth is that, fine, PSG is a state-owned football club, but Let's not forget the Real Madrid. They have used their power in the state to become the team they are, okay? And this is not too different to be in a state-owned club. Of course, there is a difference in there, but it's not too different because Real Madrid, and we have known this last summer, well, Florentino tried to put a producer or an editor in the Spanish public TV pro Real Madrid. Then the Spanish government back in 2000 helped Real Madrid sell their grounds in uh, Madrid City Center in order to get a a lot of money out of it and then uh, build their training ground somewhere else next to the airport. So, you know, Real Madrid has been helped by the state as well. So I don't buy this big team narrative that Real Madrid is trying to play right now. I just don't buy it. I don't think that is uh, is fair and I think that it is a little bit ridiculous. And one more thing with what I think is with the Mbappé story. The thing got so odd and uh, the whole saga got so twisted that there were some pro-Real Madrid journalists celebrating that France beat Spain in the Nation League final with goals from Kylian Mbappé. Those very journalists that are calling Mbappé a traitor now. So this has been the level. Wow. Uh, right, we'll talk more PSG later. That's enough off the field shenanigans for now. There was a Scudetto to be decided on Sunday, so we're off to Italy next. Place your bets. Welcome to Pep Roulette. Charlotte, feeling confident today, me. And your selection? Just start up front. Blue number 9 and 26. Uh, 17 as well, just behind the front two, like. Excellent. Good luck. Blue number 7. Unlucky, sir. Oh, Sterling, he started last week. 
Predicting Pep's lineups is hard, but fortunately, we've made our bet builder easy. Simply choose a top pre-built bet builder, click Add to Bet Slip, select your stake, and done. Paddy power! Online exclusive. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. So the title race went down to the final day of this season, but it was Milan who got the job done, a 3-0 win at Sassuolo in what was pretty much a home game, given the number of away fans in the stadium. That victory, enough to earn the Rossoneri a first Scudetto in 11 years. They finished two points clear of Inter. Um, James, it didn't take them long to settle the nerves, did it? It wasn't you know, a kind of dramatic back and forth day where, where things were throwing to and fro. Milan just got the job done, early doors. Yeah, as they have done for the last uh, six weeks or so, really, um, because they've had a tough run-in. They've had to go to Lazio, they've had to play Fiorentina, they've had to go to Verona, which historically is where they've lost titles late in the season in the past. Um, And uh, yeah, they've gone behind in some of those games and yet showed incredible kind of resilience and belief to come back and win those. And I suppose, you know, whilst everything was going crazy in the Premier League uh, almost simultaneously. Uh, it was almost quite anticlimactic uh, for a, a final day in which, uh, for example, Inter's coach Simone Inzaghi had said, uh, I've been in a team before that was two points behind going into the final day. And in the end, I came out on top. That was with Lazio in 2000. Uh, and there was this anticipation that maybe that could happen because... Milan were playing away at Sassuolo and uh, Sassuolo had beaten them early in the season. Sassuolo were a bit of a bogey team. But frankly, at, at half-time, it could have been 5-6-0 um, because even before Giroud opened the scoring, there were a couple of goal-line clearances, last gas blocks. It looked like Sassuolo were the team under pressure yeah, with something on the line um, rather than rather than Milan. So have to credit the players for the professionalism, um, for... Uh, how the game was prepared and how Pioli kept uh, everything feeling normal, I suppose, going into, they've had an entire week to think about this uh, and let it weigh on their mind and go through all the potential pitfalls. Um, And yet uh, they made it look very routine and it's magnificent to see Milan champions again um, after after 11 years and they've done it in a different way, uh, I suppose, to... To Inter, um, who spent uh, a hell of a lot of money um, to do it, and then needed some emergency finance this time last year, which kind of uh, left people with kind of a conflicted emotions about winning the league because um, it didn't feel like the start of something; it felt like the end. Um, in that Conte went, uh, Lukaku was sold, Hakimi was sold, uh, Eriksson could no longer play in Italy, and instead. Uh, you know, Inter did go on a, a, a on a very good run and have a very good season, but um, Milan have done it with a, a much more sustainable model, picking up uh, players on the cheap. Yeah, Giroud, for example, uh, Zlatan two and a half years ago. Think of some of the kids that they've signed, Kalulu. Um, think of some of the the young players they've they've taken a, a bet on, like uh, Tomori, like Teo Hernandez, uh, like Sandro Tonali. 
um, and it's all come together in the best possible way. Uh, Jules, this is one of your specialist subjects. Is Olivier Giroud really only 35? Oh, he's so handsome, isn't he? Oh, my God. Um, I remember when he signed, he said, what do you think? I said, this is, this is great for you. I really, you know, as good as he's been in England, I think it was time for him to move on. And I think he liked the idea that he's the kind of older body and head around all those kids. Same with, with Latin. I think he knew he would play quite regularly, which he did. He scored 11 goals in Serie A, which is which is decent amount at 35 years old, even if it's the team that won the title. Maybe he could have done, I think, I looked, but when they won the, the last title in 2011, the highest goal scorer was 14 in the league. So it's not, you know, it's not too bad for Giroud. And I think at the time they had, they had you know, really strong strikers as well, if I remember well. So it's, um, it's a great experience for him. He's won the World Cup, he's won the Champions League, he's won the Europa League, he's won Ligue 1 and that's Serie A. It's an incredible career for someone who was rejected by pretty much every single academy in the country when he was younger. It's, it shows you that with a lot of work and French handsomeness, you can go really far. <laughs> uh, you touched on it briefly there James you, you've done a fantastic big piece on the Athletic on Milan and, and how they got it done but I think it's worth spending a bit more time on, on their recruitment because not just the players you mentioned but, but you think about losing Donnarumma last summer and replacing him with, with Mike Mannion who's proved to be one of the, the outstanding goalkeepers in Europe this season for, for effectively half the wages Yeah, uh, outstanding uh, acquisition cost €14 million Euro. Um, and uh, yeah, they. I think Milan's approach has been very disciplined. Um, they have uh, their wage structure, they have their budget, and they don't move from it. Um, you know, uh, it's it's always amazing going on Twitter um, when uh, someone's contract is up. Um, you know, I'm sure covering Chelsea, Matt. You know, you've seen with Rudiger, it's like just give him what he wants. You know, he's 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 too important to this team. Just just pay him anything. Um, and you know, often it's it's it takes great kind of courage and uh, to to go with your own convictions and and not go with the crowd. And uh, they backed their recruitment process, which yes has Maldini as its figurehead, but has some very smart people in in the background. Be it Moncada, the chief scout who was uh, there at Monaco, really good data and analysts, young people, smart people, uh, and and so when they gave Donnarumma a deadline and said, look, this is our offer. I know it's not the 12 million double what you're earning now that you wanted, but it, it's still more than what um, than what you were getting. And he, he didn't get back to them. They were like, right, okay, well, we'll, we'll fly Mike Maignan in. Um, and Maignan has, uh, right from the get-go, been so assured, uh, so charismatic, fantastic distributor of the ball. I mean, he's got an assist this season. Uh, allows Milan to beat the press, uh, and also, you know, if you look at sort of data, stats bomb data, he's he's saved eight more goals than a normal goalkeeper would be expected to, which is just unbelievable. Incredible, um, Alvaro. Maybe something for Madrid to learn in terms of recruitment and the approach there too from <laughs> oh, Milan, and, and and maybe even looking at AC Milan and, and looking at it is cold in, in Madrid. Oh, Turn it's that cold. AC. Oh, oh, it's cold. Basically, Alvaro, I'm just opening up the floor for you to have another go around Madrid. Just coming yeah. at it from a slightly different angle. So, if you'd like to criticise their transfer policy, now's the time to do it. No, no, no. I think that Real Madrid's transfer policy hasn't been too bad actually because they managed to rebuild their defence after. 
Sergio Ramos left to a team that is very happy with having him. Um, <laughs> and they have, re they have replaced Ramos and Bagan with uh, Rudiger and Alaba and co both came free. So I think that some of the transfer policy of Real Madrid has been spot on, very good. I wouldn't say it has been disastrous. What I say is that just not having a plan B to Kylian Mbappé is a mistake. And uh, they may pay for this. Uh, maybe not next year, because Benzema is going to be 35, 36, but maybe in a couple of years. Uh, so AC Milan, of course, the, the big story, James, from, from the final day in Serie A. But we've got to mention Salernitana as well, completing the great escape despite getting hammered 4-0. That, that seven-game unbeaten run before Sunday saving them. Just how kind of surprising of an achievement is this? Well... <sighs> Very surprising because um, they were bottom at the turn of the year. They were at risk of being kicked out of the league because when they came up, one of their co-owners also happens to be the president of Lazio and that's a conflict of interest. So the club was immediately put in a trust and, and, and told uh, that they had to find a new buyer. And, you know, as we went into New Year's Eve, there wasn't a new buyer. Uh, and then all of a sudden one popped up, local guy, um, has open universities uh, in uh, uh, and online universities in Italy. Basically, brought in a new sporting director, brought in a whole new team, and brought in this Harry Houdini of of coaches that uh, Italy has, which is Davide Nicola, who famously rescued Crotone from an even worse position uh, than Salernitana. So they went on this incredible unbeaten run, but <laughs> to stay up. Uh, having been, what, 3-0 down at half-time uh, against Udinese, nothing to play for, already safe. And for Cagliari to basically know they were playing against the already relegated Venezia, that all they needed to do was find one goal and they would stay up. It kind of, it, it makes you like think, great escape, okay, but I mean, this it's almost like you you lost it and bottled it right at the end. Um uh, so, yeah, a lot of Salernitana fans were just, they, they weren't watching the, the game in front of them at the Arecchi. They were looking at their phones. They were watching uh, Cagliari of Venezia to see if, uh, because obviously they were clearly going to lose. So uh, it's still it's still a magnificent achievement. Um, and Davide Nicola, who who cycled all the way from, from Puglia to, to Turin, so from one end of Italy to the other when Crotone stayed up, um, he's going to walk from Salerno to the Vatican. Um, to to say thanks uh, for the, to the football gods for for keeping Salernitana. It's the first time um, that they've actually survived on on what three in three attempts of getting into Serie A. So yeah, uh, another mad mad uh, element of that final day in Serie A. Yeah, elsewhere, Atalanta won't be in Europe next season. That'll be for the first time since 2016. Giampiero Gasparini uh, will be staying on, though. Just to conclude on Serie A, James, you reckon this is one of the best seasons, what, in ever in the competition? Absolutely. I mean, and, it, and very surprisingly uh, so as well, Matt, because on the eve of the season, Ronaldo left, um, Lukaku left, Donnarumma left. And people were like, okay, the, the, the stars have gone. You know, is, is this season going to be as compelling um, as it has been in the past? And instead, it was a season for the, for the ages. I think eight of ten games going into the final weekend had something riding on it. Um, yeah, relegation was, was still to be decided. Uh, who was going to get into Europa League? Conference League was going to be decided. Fiorentina back in Europe for the first time in five years. Um, and obviously, the, the title went down to the final day. For the first time since since 2010, 
Um, and uh, and I suppose unlike in 2010 when that was Jose's Inter treble winners, and you always just thought they're going to do that, that's fine. There was still a lot of jeopardy going into this one as to who would do it, Milan or Inter. So it was a magnificent season, and uh, yeah, I'm already already got withdrawal symptoms, I must say. Well, there is one more game involving an Italian side to come this season, and it's on Wednesday. We'll look ahead to that next. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is excellent news for Everton fans when they make their Lampardian transition from serious to funny to serious once again. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply. Destination Tirana for Roma and final on Wednesday then as they contest the first ever UEFA Conference League final. And let's go Dutch in a very real sense by bringing in our friend Mikael Jongsler from Opta. Uh, Mikael, what, what kind of shape did final come into this game in? Well, they are a bit knackered from a long, long season. Uh, they were in the preliminaries of this competition, so they've basically had to f- fight their way through all the possible rounds to, to get where they are. And uh, there was still a battle going on for third place in the in the league that they were very much involved in and that that they sealed in the end. Uh, but they have had some time to take a rest and take a step back and prepare for this, uh, as they have spent most of the last couple of weeks in um, in Portugal to well basically charge up a bit, and they're very much relishing this uh, this specific encounter. You mentioned the arduous journey. First qualifier was on the 22nd of July. Uh, at that point, was it kind of seen as a bit of an inconvenience to the club, the Conference League, and, and have they warmed to it like everybody else seems to have done, or was it always a high priority for them? Well, uh, for for the size of the club that they are, Feyenoord have had a quite a quite a rough few, well, I would almost say decades in terms of European success. And even though in terms of reputation at this point, they are not as big as, as Ajax or even PSV is, uh, in terms of support, they most definitely are. Um, and their fans were really, really looking forward to to those typical journeys into far, far away lands. And obviously, um, as soon as they found out that there was a certain chemistry with this team and with this coach, uh, one of those arduous journeys that they were looking forward to was very much Tirana and Albania. Um, so no, I don't think that they at, that at any point they were uh, seeing this as, as an inconvenience. They, in, in the Netherlands, these tournaments are very, very much relished way more than they are in in uh, other countries because yeah, getting a Champions League winner uh, anytime soon won't likely happen. Um, and in general, Dutch football has very much profited from from these smaller cup competitions in terms of building up their UEFA coefficients again, um, and uh, yeah, making the making the clubs and the and the league a more um, attractive proposition. Who do Roma need to be wary of in this game? I'm, I'm guessing Dessers is is one of those. He seems to be a, a Conference League specialist, if such a thing exists. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's been he's been great for them, especially in that league. He's not even there. Uh, he, I mean, he is their first striker now, but it has been a long road for him because he's quite a, yeah, he's quite quite a quite a flaky player. He 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 turns up he turns it up at some points and then 
for some games he seems to be missing chances. One other name that I would very much be focusing on is Luis Sinistera. Uh, they're a left forward. He's a fantastic dribbler, has, has an extra burst of pace, really composed in front of goal as well. And he seems to be the, the, the one star player of this team when you look at like, um, like bigger potential. And I'm, I would be quite surprised if he would stay for another year because, yeah, he, he's really lighting up like every match that he's involved in. And what kind of chance do you give Feyenoord of winning? Well... The whole season has been kind of a success story. They brought in a, a new coach in Arne Slot, who is um, next to Erik ten Hag, obviously, uh, one of the really interesting Dutch coaches at the moment. And I think that he will be one that be that, that will be sought off, uh, sought after in, in, in bigger leagues as well. I think Feyenoord, because of him and because of the good group atmosphere that they have, because of all the support that will come over, because as Roma is, as well, of course, Feyenoord is a very well um, support a team and a, and a lot of fans are already there to to well taste the atmosphere and, and go to the game. Uh, I, th I think that they have a good chance to, to pull up a, pull, pull off an upset and I think in terms of uh, individual quality Roma will, will always be the better team but I think this final team is really sturdy and they have shown that they can uh, they can uh, they relish these big encounters as well as they've shown in, in the league but also in um, in this specific competition of course. Roma then, James, looking to win their first ever European trophy, first European final in 31 years. Uh, presumably winning this would, would turn what, on the face of it, looks a fairly average first season for Jose Mourinho in terms of, in terms of league position into, into a very good campaign. Yeah, it's all Roma fans want, uh, is to win a trophy for the first time in 14 years. Um, as you said, first European final since uh, 1991. So... Uh, you know, on the face of it, yeah, you know, they 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 qualify for the Europa League already. Um, there was a risk that they might not qualify for at all for Europe um, going into the the final weekend. So that's that's a positive. I think that takes some some of the pressure off. It was good to see Tammy Abraham scoring a couple of goals. It was good to see the, the team actually win again for the first time uh, in a while, uh, at least in the league and. Yeah, the league did say, okay, you can play on Friday night, so you've got more time to prepare rather than play on, on Saturday or Sunday. Uh, I think that the, the one thing that a lot of um, fans and local media just trust in is, is Mourinho. They think that Mourinho enough, is enough on his own to win a European final, to win a final. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm, I, I'm actually quite confident that they, they can do it, even though... Roma have obviously had these blips in the in the Conference League. You think of the Bodo Glimt game, most famously uh, games. You also think that Feyenoord are undefeated so far in this in this competition. Um, so it's probably a little bit closer than, uh, than than I think a lot of people think. But I just think the Mourinho factor will will probably be a, be the edge. Uh, Jules Alvaro, who are you picking for this? Well, uh, maybe. Maybe Roma, because they have shown a certain wisdom in the knockout stages, because they got a clean sheet, at least in each of uh, the ties they had against Vitesse, against Bodo Glimt, against Leicester. So when they needed to put a good defensive performance, they have done it, irrespective of their form in Italy. In the Conference League, they have done it in the important moments. So I think that for that reason, I'm going to go for Roma. But I know that this uh, Jose Mourinho narrative as well 
Makes sense, makes sense, because uh, he's a manager that he has never lost the final, uh, European final in spring, I believe. Um, he has never lost the European, I say spring because then he has lost some European finals in August, like European Super Cups, but he has never lost any Europa League or UEFA or Champions League finals, and you know, you have to get, give some credit to Jose as well, so I think that they have to be the favourites, yeah. Jules, he'll be nice and humble, won't he? If he wins, he, oh, yeah, he won't he be beaten just... us to death with the fact that he's the only coach who's won every European competition that there is to win. Exactly, which the line is ready. You know, the punchline is ready. He's just waiting for it. And then the delivery will be sensational. He will cry. He will run everywhere. He'll probably take the shirts off, I suspect, finishing his pants or something. And there will be some, some Mourinho moments that we will never forget. So just for that, I've got nothing against Feyenoord. But just for that, I want Jose and, and Roma to win, just to see that there was Mourinho moments. And Feyenoord has been the best team of the competition because they haven't lost a single game and Nottingham has scored more goals. But Frankfurt was also the best team in the Europa League and Rangers took them to the penalty shootout. So whatever happened before, it doesn't matter. We'll find out. 8 o'clock UK time on Wednesday is the kickoff for that one. Right up next, a very exciting final day in Ligue 1. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. So that Mbappe news proved the perfect hors d'oeuvre for PSG as they rounded off their season in five-star style with a mashing of Mets who were relegated as a consequence. Um, Jules, we've spoken about, about the uh, the contract ad nauseum, but I mean, he underlined why PSG was so keen to keep him here, didn't he? He scores a hat-trick and ends the season as the, the top scorer and top assist maker in the league. Yeah, which is a first, uh, which is amazing. There's, there's something very interesting he said the other day when we asked him the question and he said that he'd realised, again, we go back to the intelligence, that it was quite cool not just to score and to be this complete striker. And I think the influence of Karim Benzema, I mean, they might, they might hate him now, but uh, Karim and we saw the Tupac uh, betrayal post on Instagram and all that stuff. But... The influence on, on, of the, of ben, the Benzema had on Kylian is to make him this kind of more complete forward, if you want, where before he was obsessed with the goals all the time since he was very, very young. And now he's added to his game being a bit more altruist and giving those assists a bit more. And this is the side of his game that we hadn't seen it as much before in previous seasons. So that was pretty impressive. And I mean, one, he was Mets on Saturday. And then two, especially after the Saturday that we had... Uh, it was always going to be great, and and he was. And for Mets, I mean, second second division, and Saint Etienne just snatched the um, the relegation playoff spot. But for Kylian to end the season that way again, an incredible season individually for him, not so much for for the team. And we're not going to talk about 
the manager anymore, but <laughs> personally, please do. <laughs> personally, uh, it was it was very impressive for him to finish like this. Uh, no guard of honour for Poch then, but there was one for Angel Di Maria. Well, it was more kind of a circle and people patting him on the back and giving him cuddles, wasn't it? Which was which was quite sweet. He's, his final game, he's, he's off to Juventus, is he? I think so, James will tell us, but maybe it was the right time for him to go. He was out of contract. He, he said the club promised him a, a one-year extension at some point. I think they want to move on, as we said earlier, for something a bit younger, etc. Great. The only issue I have is that good luck finding a better passer of the ball than Angel Di Maria has been for the last four years now. Because, again, we saw the one that he gave to Kylian Mbappe with the inside of his foot. But Angel Di Maria whips the ball with the inside of his left foot for Kylian into space, which was incredible. And they will have to find someone who can create as much as Di Maria and who is that kind of passer of the ball. I just don't think they're easy to find. Can be a, a much more forward-thinking and, and presumably more successful Juventus team next season. Then, James, if you've got Pogba and Di Maria in there, well, that's the hope um, because it's been a very disappointing season for Juventus. Um, finishing fourth was the absolute minimum. Uh, fewer points than Pirlo got. Uh, didn't win a trophy for the first time in eleven years. Allegri saying we've laid good foundations, um, but. Really, uh, I think even with the squad that they've got at the moment, they should have done better because they've they've got some talented young players there. Um, yeah, be it Delict, Locatelli, Chiesa, um, Vlajevic. So I think Max wants to bring in a bit more experience, um, guys who can uh, control games better, as Jules say, um, give them that little bit extra in the final third. Um, yeah, Dybala hasn't always been fit and healthy um, to be that guy in between the lines. Can Pogba do that? Can Di Maria do that? I think if Di Maria is fit and healthy in Serie A, he will just absolutely... <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, it'd be outstanding. I mean, he's young for Serie A, so. even at 34, you know, so... <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, but it's going to be, it's going to be a big season for Allegri next year because, you know, he's, he's got the backing, he's got the credibility uh, that his two predecessors, you know, didn't really enjoy from from the the hierarchy, the executive team there, and they're going to have to win the title next year, I think, for the, for that to be a success. Because, as I said, there's there's more to come from this squad. Okay, there's a few little holes that need filling. Midfield certainly needed work, um, but apart from that, it's uh, there's some there's some talent Juventus. So back in Liga, PSG had romped to the title, but there was still plenty of European qualification places to be sorted. Jules, you mentioned what happened with, with second place and, and the place in the Champions League group stages next season. It was Marseille who pinched it in the end. They beat Strasbourg by four goals to nil. Feels harsh to say that Monaco threw it away, didn't it, given the form that they were in, but they'll be absolutely crestfallen by the way that it got away from them in the end. They were gutted, you're right. They, it would have been the 10th win in a row, uh, which is an incredible achievement, really an incredible way to finish the season. But in fairness, Marseille deserve. They've been second most of the season uh, and they, they, they are, I think, the second best team in France right now. So they deserve, they deserve it as well. Sampali has done a great job, even if at times, especially at the Velodrome, which is, which is quite crazy considering the atmosphere that's there, but they've lost a lot of points. They could have even been closer to PSG than what they were. So yeah, Monaco were in the driving seat and with a win, they would have finished second and gone straight into Champions League next season. But Marseille deserve it, deserve it massively as well. Let's hope that Monaco can, can go through, through the qualifiers and, and make their way to the Champions League group stages too because I think those three would be very interesting 
uh, as a French representation in, in, in the Champions League. But it was a crazy, crazy Saturday with, with Rennes, late as well, uh, snatching fourth place and Europa League spot really late. And then we obviously have in the Europa Conference League as well. So it was, it was a really, really good last day for what was an incredible season. We've never scored so many goals. I mean, at least in a very, very long time. It was very entertaining. There was a lot of things happening on the pitch, off the pitch. Not always great, but still, there was, it, was, it was pretty good. So it's Rennes in the Europa League and Nice in the Conference League. That 2-2 yeah. that between Lille and Rennes, maybe the last game for a, for a couple of Lille players, Jonathan David and, and Sven Botman in particular? Yeah, I think they will go. Uh, this was always the plan, Renato Sanchez as well. Uh, will go in the summer because that's their business plan and their model, the model that they follow, but also because those players were, were promised to go and I think they, want, they, they are too good now, probably for Ligue 1 and for Lille anyway. So it's right for them to, to leave and they, I expect big clubs to come for them. They, they're three fantastic talents. Really, that it was great to see blossoming in, in, in France. Uh, and then on Nice and Sir Jim Ratcliffe, they were 2 0 down, and Andy Delors scored an incredible hat trick in the second half to, to give them a win that get that place into Europe, albeit the Conference League. But as we saw with Feyenoord and Roma, it's still very good to play in it, and your fans will be very happy if you go far. So well done to Delors, who's been magnificent for them this season. Right, that's France tick, Italy tick, egregious contract tick. Next up, we're going to go to Spain and Germany. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Deine Time to Shine. Guckt nur auf den Ball. Entscheidenden drüber gesammelt, Dimirovic. Eben aus elf Metern drüber gesetzt, Dimirovic. Dem Backe jetzt das Herz. The words of Bullen Funk FM there, speaking for Leipzig fans and indeed neutrals everywhere as Dominic Tedesco's side won the Pokal on Saturday. They beat Freiburg on penalties. The first silverware of their long and illustrious history. Uh, another final that ends in a penalty shootout around Europe. Leipzig were a goal down and down to 10 men after 57 minutes. That after Marcel Halstenberg's red card. And yet, newly crowned Bundesliga player of the season, Christopher Nkunku, took the game to extra time with his 35th goal in all competitions. They then had uh, an hour to play with 10 men before they eventually prevailed in the shootout. Nkunku, Jules, he's, he's continuing this French domination of leagues across Europe. Yeah, I mean, incredible season for him. Well-deserved player of the season. Remind me again, who was... So, Ligue 1 player of the season was Kylian Mbappé. So, that's another French guy. Who was the La Liga player of the season? Karim Benzema, that's another French guy. And I fully expect Mike Maignan, Theo Hernandez to be crowned Serie A player of the year, of course. because That's the Raphael Leao. Ah, no, it can't be. Sorry, I but I mean, he played in Liga. He played in Liga. He's, he's half French, to be fair. But Theo deserved it anywhere more than, than him. So it's just, it's just to remind everyone that obviously France will, will go to the World Cup and win it because we have the best players from the best leagues. 
Yeah, weird that Pierre Lise Melu missed out on the uh, the Premier League player. Of the season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thinking I was thinking about that one. Championship. He was gutted. Yeah, <laughs> this, that's your English, you know, lobbying weird stuff. <laughs> um, elsewhere in Germany, Dortmund have parted company with manager Marco Rose. After just one season in charge, he led Dortmund to second place in the Bundesliga, albeit eight points behind Bayern. And they were eliminated from both the Champions League and the Europa League and knocked out of the German Cup by second tier St. Pauli. It's been announced on Monday that the new man in charge is the old man, Edin Terzic, was the interim boss for the second half of the 2020-21 season. And he won the Pokal before being replaced by Rosa. Let's go to La Liga then. Mallorca and Cadiz were both fighting to survive. Alvaro, they, they took um, contrasting contrasting approaches into how to get supporters or not into this game. Didn't really matter what they did in the end, though, because they're both safe. They are both safe, yeah. Uh, what Mallorca did was very nice, just uh, subsidizing uh, part of the wages to their travelling fans to Navarra. Uh, let's not forget that Mallorca has to cross a little bit of the Mediterranean Sea to go to Navarra in the north of Spain. And then um, Cadiz fans, they have to pay a lot of money to get a, get a seat at uh, Mendizorroza ground. But uh, I think that if they paid a lot of money for that, it was worth the money because uh, Cadiz beat Alaves away from home and Mallorca beat Osasuna in uh, Navarra as well, meaning that both teams are staying in La Liga at the expense of uh, Caranca's uh, Granada. And I would like to single out Caranca for a second here because he took a very, very brave and yet risky decision. I mean, he was appointed as Granada manager on the 18th of April and Granada was already fighting to avoid relegation. He did it. Maybe he didn't have to, but he did it. And the plan didn't go well for him because he looked like he was going to be safe. But, uh, you know, at the end, in the 38th game of the season, Granada, Granada went down to the second division. Yeah, brave decision. Could be a bit braver with his football, says the man who sat through a year and a half of watching uh, an Ito Karanka team which was not that much fun. Um, not that much fun for Barca either. Beaten 2-0 at home by Villarreal. It means that Villarreal are back in Europe next season. Your athletic Bilbao uh, had to uh, had to miss out for that to happen, Alvaro. Villarreal, obviously, story of the season in many ways in the Champions League. So it would have been quite a come down for them whether to miss out altogether next time around. Yeah, they started the season, the <clears throat> domestic campaign so poorly that they put themselves in this situation. They had to go to Camp Nou at win just in case Athletic Club Bilbao got a win at Sanchez with Juan. But they did it. And the truth is that I see the merit in what Villarreal has done, not only in Europe, but also domestically. Because Gerard Moreno, Dan Yuma and Jeremy Pino, three players that are very important for them, they have uh, been sustaining plenty of muscle injuries from March onwards, and Gerard Moreno from the beginning of the season. And yet, they have managed uh, to do it. Well, I think that Villarreal is going to represent well Spanish football in the Conference League, that's for sure. Maybe a bit better than Athletic Club Bilbao, it hurts me saying this, but this season, any time my club has got the chance to overtake Villarreal on the table, uh, they haven't been up to the challenge. So yeah, it would have been a big downer for Villarreal not to qualify for Europe again. And the seven teams that have qualified for Europe are the seven teams that qualified last season as well. So the usual suspects. There is like a seven-team big six in La Liga right now. And uh, let's see if any team, and hopefully Athletic Club Bilbao, can break in here, you know, in, uh, into this big seven and, uh, you know, make some changes to the La Liga table next season. But, uh, you know, I think that there is a little bit of a La Liga big seven right now with Real Sociedad, Villarreal, Betis, Sevilla, Atlético Barcelona and Real Madrid. Barca, though, lowest league points total in 14 years. Obviously, some, some mitigating circumstances this time around, but Xavi's not going to be 
cut so much slack next season? Is he he'll be expected to improve on that radically? Uh, yes, because this season, obviously, we all knew that Xavi arrived into a club that was a little bit in shambles. Barcelona has improved a little bit up till March, and then they have gone down again. The level has been abysmal since March, and this is on Xavi as well, has to be said. The good thing about Barcelona having been so average since March onwards is that all those players there was a hype about, we have taken their masks off, if that makes sense. We know who are valid for Barcelona and who are not. Because the Adama Traore who basically killed Mario Hermoso in February against Atlético de Madrid, that Adama Traore hasn't been seen again. So probably back in February, Barcelona would have thought, well, maybe we have to make an effort to keep Adama Traore. But now we know that Adama Traore probably won't stay because he hasn't keep that level for Barcelona week in and week out. So in a way, I think that finishing the season like this has been a slightly positive because from the sporting direction point of view, maybe Barcelona knows their coordinates a bit better. Which players are good enough, which players are not good enough. And this summer, Barcelona will have to do a hell of a refurbishment uh, because they have to sell players if they want to sign players because they have to meet La Liga's salary cap and La Liga's financial fair play that we have spoken about. Uh, it's not going to be easy to sell the likes of Mingueza, Lenglet, Umtiti, Serginho Des, Braithwaite, Trincao, those players that I believe Barcelona want to sell. And if they sell Frenkie de Jong, probably they will sell him for a price that uh, is under market levels, as they have done with Philippe Coutinho. Philippe Coutinho is not a 20 million player, but Aston Villa knew that Barcelona is a selling club and they got Philippe Coutinho for this price. So yeah, it's going to be a very challenging summer for Football Club Barcelona and let's see how they do. But they have to be very clever with the money they use because they used 55 million in Ferran Torres and that hasn't worked so far. So if they're going to spend big after selling big, they'd better you know, be spot on with their choices. Elsewhere, Real Madrid drew 0-0 with Real Betis in their final league game on Friday. Gareth Bale didn't get the chance to say goodbye to the crowd at the Bernabeu, which he must have been absolutely thrilled about. He had a back problem. Uh, he might make it back for the Champions League final, though. And so there ends the domestic seasons across the major European leagues. I wonder what we're looking forward to most from next season. Um, James, the most thrilling ever Serie A part two? <laughs> Well, it'll be hard to live up to that. Uh, but then again, I was saying the same about last year, just in terms of the news stories that uh, we had, you know, be it the Super League and all kinds of stuff. You know, football just keeps generating uh, the most remarkable content. So pff, no idea uh, what's what awaits us. And uh, of course, we've got a World Cup coming up. So let's, let's see what happens. Jules, what are you looking forward to? Maybe that precocious young rookie, Lionel Messi? Showing us a bit more of his talent next time, right? Yeah, yes, for sure. 14 assists uh, in the league this season. That was great. And we've said many times that he's, he's changed, his game has changed massively now from the finisher that he was or the dribbler that he was to the, this creator. He hit the woodwork 11 times, which I believe is a, is a record in, in France since Opta started compiling those, those stats as well. So 11 times hitting the woodwork is, is pretty unlucky. So... It was not all bad, trust me, after seeing every single minute that he's played this season. But yeah, it should be better. I've got a stat that is completely pointless if you want. I think Ooh, that yes. uh, Milan, Bayern, Real Madrid and PSG all have the same uh, point per game this season, which has never happened before. 2.26, mm. exactly the same. City have a little bit more, 2.44, I think. But yeah, basically, you know, all the leagues are as strong as each other. So there's no farmers' leagues anymore. 
Yeah. The homogenisation nice. of European football continues. Lovely, lovely. Alvaro, what, what are you hoping for next season? And a La Liga that, that is more than the big seven, maybe a bit more from Barcelona, maybe Bilbao creeping into Europe? That would be lovely. Uh, but uh, I would like to have a proper title race next season. But I was really thinking about this and I am really looking forward to seeing Brazil, a football team in the World Cup. Uh, let me explain this a little bit. I mean, uh, I want to see how this Brazil, who have been very unchallenged in the World Cup Comebol qualifiers, does in Qatar against the best European sides, because there is little awareness in Europe, in my opinion, of the progress Brazil has done in recent years, and maybe because between uh, the World Cups they have barely played in European soil or against European uh, opposition. They have only played one game against Czech Republic in 2019, but they haven't played the against the big European sides, but this Brazil is a very good team and I have an immense curiosity to see how uh, they compare to their uh, counterparts in Europe and how their form in qualifiers translates into a World Cup. I think that this is going to be fascinating. Yeah, World Cup will be upon us before we know it. For now, though, let's take a little pause and reflect on what's been a fabulous season across Europe. The Totally Football Show European Edition will be back in August with James, Jules, Alvaro and Jimbo. And I'll be back on Thursday with your regular Totally, all the reaction to that Conference League final in that. Until then, many thanks to Mikel for joining us earlier, to Alvaro, to James, to Jules and to producer Charlie for putting it all together. Mainly to you, though, listener. We'll catch up with you again in August. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.